0: Well, I've been pulling the last couple of years for the uh, Holy Ghost weenie roast, but... Katie keeps going with trunk or treat thing uh, every year, and so that that's good too. Uh, you, you'll notice in the foyer there's all this candy piling up on a table in the foyer area. Uh, Katie's uh, and the children's ministry team is still uh, they're still receiving candy donations to use for the trunk or treat, so you can participate in that way. I know Katie is also uh, looking for uh, trunk hosts for that evening, and uh, and so it's a pretty fun night. I've done it uh, for several years in a row, and you you can decorate your trunk. as as much as you want, the trunk of your car, or pickup truck bed, some folks there's uh... some folks that bring their motorcycle and use their motorcycle you can you could uh... whatever you can decorate any uh... vehicle you want i suppose and and uh... whatever way you want mostly i suppose and you can do that as extravagantly as you'd like or or uh... kind of as sparsely as you'd like but uh... it's pretty fun to uh, welcome kids and families onto our campus and just to uh... just to uh... say We love you and uh, we want to provide this safe uh you know, kind of trick-or-treating setting for them, and so it's a great opportunity to do that. So I know Katie's still looking for some trunk hosts. You can sign up on the app, and uh, you can talk to Katie sometime today, and, and she'll get you all set up. It's a pretty simple deal, and uh, be a part of the tr- trunk-or-treat this year on uh, October 31st. So uh, that that's coming up quickly, and, and lots of ways you can help. Uh, people get uh, excited and passionate about all sorts of different things uh, in our world today. I had a conversation before, for uh nine o'clock worship service started about the you know being at the renaissance festival that's going on right now and how some folks get really excited about that and are passionate about that and and thought well i'm not really uh, into dressing up like knights or you know carrying swords around but then you know some people think it's weird that you'd go to a baseball game in your jersey or whatever and and those sorts of things we get passionate about all kinds of different things and and i suppose uh, occasionally uh some of us get passionate even about food. Uh, about a month or so ago, there was a, a restaurant that launched a new uh, chicken sandwich, right? Popeye's chicken sandwich. Did some of you pay attention to this? Or did anybody go buy and eat a Popeye's chicken sandwich? There you go. Nobody would admit it at nine o'clock. They, somebody had to buy all these chicken sandwiches, right? And they're excited about it. And, and uh, people get excited about all those sorts of things. And then there was a conversation, at least online, I guess, and different people had conversations about which is the best chicken sandwich, and we, we sometimes feel strongly about these sorts of things. Maybe uh, you could decide is the Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich the best or is Popeye's chicken sandwich the best? Does anybody have strong opinions about this? We could vote right now. You know, the Chick-fil-A, anybody Chick-fil-A kind of people? Or Popeye's, anybody's Popeye's? You're... I, I don't know i don't care but you're much more participatory than nine o'clock so i appreciate that that's good right Uh, people are excited about this and they just they just wanted to express their their passion about it and they wanted this authentic uh experience with the chicken sandwich and and maybe we have a different conversation about different kind of food i i know some people like to discuss uh, these these restaurants that we don't enjoy them so much here in kansas but in different places some people like to have a conversation about which is the better hamburger the whataburger hamburger or the in and out hamburger and you maybe had that discussion and uh, thought about that somewhat i'll tell you that the right answer is in and out and thank you so we can be done with that. And so excited about that. People have different opinions and they get passionate about which one is the best hamburger. Or maybe you, you have uh, strong feelings about, you know, which convenience store you go to, right? There's uh, Quick Trip or Casey's or Petro Deli, right? I, sorry, I didn't get that one in there. I feel strongly about that. Whichever one it is, you know, people have strong opinions. We were at a, at, at a wedding in Texas uh, uh, several months ago, and my wife Sherry said, we were just there and back. I mean, we went through Oklahoma into Texas. We were there for like a day, and then we drove back. It was that quick a trip. And my wife Sherry said, oh, we really have to go to Bucky's. And I thought she was cussing at me. I didn't know... You know, I was like, what's a Bucky? I don't know what that is. Well, it's a convenience store in Texas, and we didn't make it. So I'd have no, I'd have no vote on that one. But uh, some people feel passionate about this, and they compare these. Which one's the best, you, you know? Or or my son is, is at school in Oklahoma, and he, he said, the whole floor I live on, there's people from Texas that live on my floor, and they, they are constantly telling me that I need to try Texas barbecue. So maybe we have conversations about which region has the best barbecue, you know, Kansas city or Texas. And then there's some other regions that don't matter as much, but there, you know, there's this conversation about which do we feel is most, uh, is most important is best. And, and we have this, we get passionate about those things. And I, I thought, well, you know, I never went and had a Popeye's chicken sandwich, and and I don't know if I will, and, and, you know, they sold out so quickly, and some people said it was just, it was all an act, right? You know, they never intended to have enough chicken sandwiches to fuel the chicken sandwich excitement that they, that they caused. And, and so they said it was just media. They just wanted excitement. And so I searched, you know, Popeye's chicken sandwich recipe. And there were recipes that show up, these copycat recipes of a Popeye chicken sandwich. And so I said, well, Casey's pizza. And there's copycat recipes for casey's pizza and almost any any restaurant you know delicacy that you want to to think of you can find this copycat recipe online and you can go home and make this for yourself and and i just wondered if if i go home and make this popeye's chicken sandwich will i be experiencing the authentic Popeyes chicken sandwich and I'm I'm not sure if I, I if I'll ever find that out because I'm not going to make it on my own I promise you that uh, and so, but we want this authentic experience. And last week we talked a little bit about the fact that authentic worship means building each other up. And we're going to continue to talk about what does that authentic worship look like in, in this worship setting. And really, Paul digs into this, and, and we can experience and participate in authentic worship. And I think there are three principles that are taught in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to take a look at verses 20 through 40 this morning, the end of the chapter there in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, as we think about three principles that are taught to experiencing and participating in authentic worship. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them up to the Fourteenth chapter of the book of first corinthians we're going to start in chapter in verse 20 there of chapter 14 and we're going to consider three principles that are taught about authentic worship Uh, first corinthians chapter 14 beginning in verse 20 this is what god's word says Brothers, do not be children in your thinking, be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by the people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. And even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for uh, believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for believers, but for... Rather, not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outside enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all Prophesy one by one so that uh, all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace." As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak but should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones that has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge uh, that the things I am writing to you are commanded of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this he is not recognized so my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues but all things should be done decently and in an order all right an interesting and then kind of a difficult section of scripture that we're going to deal with this morning as we think about these three principles that are taught uh, and f- for us to experience and participate in authentic worship principle number one is that authentic worship reveals God among us. Authentic worship reveals God among us. Let's, let's go back to verse 20 here and, and see where Paul says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking, be infants in evil, uh, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, By the people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders and our unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. How do we participate in authentic worship that reveals God among us? And, And Paul begins the conversation where we left off last week. We were talking about the fact that worship, uh, authentic worship, involves both the heart and the mind, the, the mind and the spirit. And Paul was was talking, not only uh, telling us, teaching us that we should participate in things in worship that not only make us feel good, that we enjoy, but that uh, lead our minds to, to know more about God and that we can think about and study and learn from. And he continues that conversation about our mind and our thinking here. He says, brothers, do not be children in your thinking." Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. Be mature in your thinking, but be infants in evil. There's kind of this this overlap, this this uh, combination of of maturity and immaturity that Paul is is. Uh, leading us to, to follow after. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we took uh, my daughter Lacey to a, a campus visit. And so she went to the softball camp at the school and, and uh, she had a campus tour and uh, enjoyed a campus visit there. She's going to graduate in May. And so she's, you know, will leave for, for college uh, next fall, uh, about to... Uh, be an adult, right? We're going to christen these folks absolutely, you know, real life adults at that point. We, we just experienced that with my son Clayton, and, and he's off at school, and now Lacey will, will set off in, in May, and, and uh, or next fall to school. She'll be a real life adult, and so we go to this campus visit to prepare for adulthood, you know. We're, we're going to get her ready, and, and uh, I got a message that uh, afternoon before we left, for this campus visit hey will you pick up some movies rent some movies you know so we can watch them on the on the journey and and so I said okay she probably didn't use the word journey but I did and so I said, okay, we'll do that. And, and so what movies would you like? She said, I want to see Aladdin. And I thought, well, this is, this is just kind of the deal, isn't it? We're, we're off to take a campus tour. We're preparing for adulthood. And we want to find out one more time if the genie grants all three wishes in the movie, right? Uh, kind of this childhood movie we want to see again. And, and there's sort of this overlap, this combination of maturity perhaps in that, in that situation, uh, maybe. And, and uh, I think the same thing is, a little bit true here is paul's saying there's this combination of maturity i want you to be mature in your thinking i want you to to study god's word and pay attention to it and and, and follow his example and follow where he would guide you and i want you to live that out with with a childlike innocence right be immature be childlike and, and, and evil. And I want you to live that out in your actions and with this childlike innocence. I heard a terrible story this last week. This story is just awful. I uh, you know, my, uh, heard a story about uh, two sixth graders. And uh, these sixth graders decided that they were going to be boyfriend and girlfriend, all right? Now, you might think as parents that that's the awful part of the story. That's not the awful part of the story, right? They, they go home and they say, hey, I have this boyfriend or I have this girlfriend. They come back to school and, and this uh, little girl says to the little boy who invited her, hit her to be his girlfriend, I can't be your girlfriend anymore uh, because m- my parents don't like black people. Now, it's a terrible story. It's an awful story. Is a terrible place to leave the story, right? But here's what I want you to, to know that, hey, that, that wasn't her presupposed stance, was it? That, that, that was a learned conversation. That was a learned behavior. That uh, there, was, there was great innocence, all right? We can debate and have a long talk about what in the world sixth graders think they mean when they say they're dating each other. That's a conversation for another day. But there was great innocence exercised in the development of that relationship and her action. And Paul is, is, has this combination of, of maturity and immaturity. And he said, I want you to be very mature in your thoughts in your mind. I want you to study and pay attention and weigh uh, God's Word and see the truth in it. And then I want you to live with this childlike innocence. That's exercising that maturity with this innocence in our actions. It goes on in verse 21 to say, "In the law it is written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners. Will I speak to this people? And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Uh, he, Paul reaches back into the book of Isaiah and he, he talks about the fact that, hey, no matter the miracles that we perform, it won't be enough for some of you to, to turn to me. And, and so even if you speak in tongues in your church, it won't be enough for some people to turn to me. We, we need to exercise some maturity in our thought. We need to study God's Word and, and grow in that relationship with Him before we can just expect this, this something miraculous or this something... Uh eye-catching to turn people to us he goes on in verse 22 to say thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers well prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers and he sort of almost seems like he changes position here but what i need you to understand is that this word sign is a very old testament word It was the word that was used in the Old Testament when God said, hey, there's going to be judgment coming from this this outside country, and they're going to to exercise this judgment on Israel. It's this word with this heavy connotation of judgment. And so when you go back and you overlay that in in verse uh, 22, you realize he's he's communicating the same train of thought here to 23 where he says, "If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter will they not say that you are out of your minds but if all prophesy and, and an unbeliever or an outsider enters he is convicted by all he's called by, to account by all the secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face he will worship god and declare that god is really among you so so paul just poses this what if question he asks in your worship what if the whole church speaks in tongues what would happen and he said, "What if the whole church prophesies? What would happen?" Now we've talked about these two spiritual gifts, and we defined them last week, and 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 uh, and we know that when we read prophecy and in the new testament that I, I think we ought to be reading you know the preaching and teaching of god's word we we are in a, at an advantage over the church in corinth and that we have at our fingertips the entire new testament they were holding just one part of it this letter from paul as they as they read that and studied that and we have the entire new testament at at our disposal we we can reach any part of it and read any part of it we can rely on god's word and, and paul says what is if uh, people, the whole church spoke in tongues. When I was 11 years old, I got invited by my best friend to go to this, his, his church, or a Sunday night church service. And I said, okay, we'll go. And I went with my buddy to this church service and, and we sat in a worship service and I don't remember anything about this worship service except what happened at the end. All right. I'm supposing that it was very much like other worship services that I'd been a part to uh, until the end, that there was singing and that there was teaching and preaching and that sort of stuff in the worship service. I don't remember any. Any of that though and I remember at the end uh, somebody the, the preacher or whoever was leading that service invited people to come forward to the altar and, and they talked about all sorts of good things right you can come forward to the altar to seek forgiveness you can come forward to the altar to begin a relationship with Jesus you can come forward to the altar to pray all of these good things and, and he said we're going to stand and and if you if you want to come to the altar people can come and so uh, people stood up, and almost everybody went to the, the front of the room, to the altar, to, to pray and to receive these good things. And they continued to worship, and then they started to speak in tongues, to pray in tongues at the front of this room. And I, my... Uh, in small group, you know, some folks said, well, I've never really experienced that. What's that like? And we tried to describe that. And I described that setting. It was like a mosh bit of speaking in tongues. If you've ever been to a concert and people just kind of being very excited about the performance, right? And that's sort of what was happening as they spoke in tongues. And I remember as an 11 year old thinking, I have no idea what's going on. And my friend looked at me because everybody stood up. And everybody went to the front and there were just a few people kind of sprinkled through the seats. And my, my best friend said, hey, do you want to go? And I said, no, I'm good. I'm going to stay right here. And I was really scared. As an 11-year-old, i just never experienced that before. You're right, it was, it was sort of frightening to me. I did, just didn't know what was happening. And, and, uh, and, and I think that's what Paul is saying. If the whole church... Right? Spoken tongues. What might somebody who's unfamiliar with what is going on, what might somebody who's unfamiliar with, with worship and, and what usually happens in a worship gathering, what might they think? And Paul has his, comes to his own conclusion about that. Well, maybe they'd think that you're out of your minds. But what would happen? What if? What if the whole church prophesied together? What if the whole church studied, and proclaimed the Word of God. And you might say, well, you know, I'm not prepared to do that. But if you have a relationship with Jesus, you really are. Because as you study God's Word and as you you read about Jesus, and then you think about... Uh, what what difference Jesus has made in your life. I mean, that's a story all your own. And every one of us ought to be prepared, ought to be prepared with a a three-minute story of how Jesus has made a difference in our life. And that three-minute story, I suppose, would change over time. You know, he's going to do some more things. He's going to change us in some more ways. He's going to mature us in some different areas. And and that difference is going to look, well, different at different stages in our life. But we ought to be prepared with that statement. What, what would happen? You know, I'm embarrassed to say, I was at, a, I was at a, a lunch several months ago, and I'm having lunch with a group of pastors, so it's not that much fun, right? But we're eating, which I enjoy. And so we're having lunch, and, and this one guy sitting next to me, I didn't know him very well, and he said, Hey, what, what, what are the top three things that are happening at Wallula right now? I'm like, I I just really want to have my barbecue sandwich, you know, and and I'm thinking, and I I was totally unprepared, right? Now, that doesn't mean that there weren't three great things happening at Wallula, because there were and there are. I mean, we can make a list of the difference that Wallula is making in our community at and Third Thursday meals and the hundreds that are fed or at the uh, shelter of hope and the hundreds that are are housed and sheltered for the evening. We can talk about our small groups and the, the difference that those relationships are making in individual and families' lives. We can talk about our children's ministry and a great weekend just this past weekend at Superstart and some of the things that are going on there. We can talk about our student ministry and... and, and the the impact that youth coaches and other students are having and in families lives there are great things that are happening at wallula i was simply unprepared and so i stammered around a little bit and we had a conversation and and man just because there are so many good things happening that you know we were able to share some of those things but but i suppose right as lead pastor i should be more prepared on a regular basis Uh, to look back and think about the difference that Jesus is making in the lives of folks who make up Wallula Christian Church. And as an individual follower of Jesus, I should look back and pay attention to the difference that Jesus is making in my life. And if every one of us did that, what might happen? Well, Paul answers his own question again. He says when we share the Word of God, when we share our story and how Jesus has impacted us, uh, he says in verse 24, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. That's not as as stark and serious as it sounds. Right? When we study God's Word, the most important uh, job of Scripture, I believe, is to reveal to us that there is one God and none of us are Him. And every one of us is in desperate need of a Savior. And the ultimate difference that Jesus has made in my life is, offer, is that he's offered me that, that saving relationship. So they're convicted by all and called to account by all. The secrets of his hearts are, are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. God is revealed in our story and the difference that he's made. He's revealed through his story, his word, and the difference that it's made in our lives. And every one of us ought to be prepared uh, to live out this principle and authentic worship and, and allow God to be revealed among us. Let's think about principle number two, that authentic worship reflects God among us. So God has made this difference in our life. We've accepted him and we're following after him. He's revealed his presence in our life, and in our family, on our team here at Wallula, and now as we live out that worship, it ought to reflect who God is, and, and how we live, and the decisions we make. Paul begins to unpack uh, this first century worship service here in verse 26. He says, what then brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, let all things be done for building up. If anyone uh, speak in a tongue, uh, let there only be two or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy and one by one, so that all may learn and all may be encouraged, And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not a god of confusion but of peace Uh, you you start in verse 26 what then brothers when you come together see there's this assumption that paul is making that the body of christ that god's team that his family is going to gather together in worship we ought not rush past that. I, I served in a, a different church uh, many years ago, and, and there was this gentleman that I always loved having a conversation with, and, and I'd have a conversation with him a couple times a year, usually sometimes around Christmas and then maybe around Easter. And so I had this conversa- a different conversation every time, but, but it always started in the same way, because I, I was serving as a youth pastor then. I, I wasn't the preacher or the lead pastor necessarily at this congregation, but, and so maybe he referred to everybody on staff this way I don't know but he always talked to me like that he'd say preacher and I'd say yeah what's going on and He'd say preacher this is and then he'd start his conversation And almost every one of these conversations at some point in time would deal with the fact that he knew that I knew that he only showed up you know a couple times a year at church and he'd say preacher I know I should be in church more often but I really love this stuff you know, and for him, he would say, preacher, I know I ought to be in church more often, but I never feel closer to God than when I'm in my deer stand. And I would always say, that is so cool. That is so often. That is so awesome. And you ought to be in your deer stand sometimes. You ought to do the things that you love. And you ought to, if, if that draws you closer to God, that we should celebrate that. But not everybody can be in your deer stand, I'd say. You know, you don't want everybody in your deer stand. And if God is influencing you in this way, then it's our job to help him influence others. Paul talks about this idea of building each other up over and over and over again. It's been a theme that ran through, that's run through the entire uh, 14th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. So he assumes that we'll come together and as we come together, we'll continue to build each other up and he makes this list. It's not a comprehensive list. We we don't know if every one of these things was present in the first century worship service every time, but he builds this list of things that might be present in a worship service. He says everyone's going to be together and everybody has something to contribute. Right? We need everybody to be a part of that family everybody to be a part of the team he goes on by comparing these two spiritual gifts that he's been comparing this whole time if any speak in a tongue let there be only two or at the most three and each in turn and let someone interpret but if there is no one to interpret let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to god let two or Let two or three, in verse 29, uh, prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. All right, so Paul begins by saying, unpacking this worship service and saying, first of all, we all have to get together. We need to continue to worship together and uh, build those relationships. And and the way we build those relationships, man, it'd be really good in this worship service if there was a plan. If if you're going to speak in tongues, that there'd only be a couple of you and that if you would take turns. And if there are going to be uh, folks who prophesy that there'd only be a couple of you and that you would take turns, that there would be this plan to worship. Uh, every Sunday, believe it or not, we have this plan of of how we are going to worship and how you know we're going to draw as close as we can to God and learn as much as we can from His Word. I remember interviewing uh, at this church just before I graduated from Bible college, and I, I went to this church to interview on the weekend, and and we Sunday morning was it was getting ready. I was meeting with the the lead pastor at this church and just before this the earliest of his services. And uh, they, at that time had different kinds of worship services. They had a more traditional worship service, folks sang out of hymnals and, and that sort of thing. And then a more uh, contemporary worship service with a band and that sort of thing later. And, and uh, he said, well, Lance, if, if you get this job, if we hire you, then you need to know this about this uh, first worship service, that sometimes uh, the, the, song leader, you know, they show up most of the time, but sometimes they don't. And when they don't, you need to be able to figure out which songs you'll be leading that Sunday morning. And I thought, that's a terrible plan. You know, you do not, you, first of all, you, you don't want to hire me to lead any songs anywhere at any time. All right. You don't want to do that. It's Craig's birthday this last week, but you don't even want me to lead happy birthday. Sing that to him later. You know, that's a terrible idea. But secondly, what do you mean figure out which songs we're going to sing that Sunday? You know, it's Sunday. You, may, you, you ought to have a plan. And that's, that Paul says, man, it's really good in worship to have a plan so that we can do this next thing that's really good, which is to respect one another and most of all to respect God. He said, hey, I want you to be able to pay attention when somebody is preaching God's word. And so be quiet and listen. And then you'll be able to weigh in on what was said. What, what does Paul mean by that? Well, he wants us to listen and study and, and hear what, what is preached about God's Word, and then he wants us to have conversations about that. You know, it's why I'm so excited about sermon-based small groups here at Wallula Christian Church. They provide us with this exact opportunity to hear what is taught, and then to weigh in on that topic. And, and, and so Paul says this is a really uh, it's good to have a plan and it's good to respect one another so that we can show respect ultimately to God, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And if God is a God of peace, then we want our interactions with each other to reflect who God is and to be uh, peaceful as well. Principle number two is that authentic worship reflects God among us. Let's take a look at principle number three, that authentic worship shares God among you. Authentic worship shares God among us. Let's look at uh, verse 34. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently in order, We need to share God among us. And, and this uh, principle is started in this section of Scripture that's really difficult for us to handle. Verse 34 says, The women should be keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn in verse 35, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. This is a difficult section of Scripture. And in fact, it's so difficult for some Bible scholars that they say, well, this doesn't reflect Paul at all. It absolutely cannot be original to this letter. Let's just dismiss it. Let's just cut out verses 34 and 35 because it can't be what Paul intended. Paul didn't write this. The only problem with this idea, I I get where they're coming from. We're going to deal with some of these issues and, and you can understand how they might reach this conclusion except that every one of the copies of 1 Corinthians that we possess have these verses in them it's written in those verses and when you you do kind of this this scholarship of ancient documents i mean it comes down to the number of copies and how close those copies were to the original uh, authored date and when you weigh all that together man verses 34 and 35 are in those documents They're in this letter. And so I think we have to figure out whether we like it or not, and I don't especially like it, we have to figure out what we do with this. How does this apply to us? What does it mean? (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) So... We're going to keep dealing with verses 34 and 35, and, and I think there's some, some hints that we, we should take away from this, okay? Some things that we should know about these verses. The first thing that we should know about these verses is I want you to go back earlier in chapter 14, and I want you to discover the people that Paul has said, I want you to be quiet in church, all right? Because this is not, this is not at the top of the list. It's not the only list, all right? Paul has said to folks who speak in tongues, You need to be quiet in church. You know, we're going to do this one at a time. Right? Paul has said to people who prophesy, who teach and preach in church, you need to be quiet in church. We're going to be respectful and we're going to do this one at a time. And so this is a long list. This is a list of folks that Paul has said, hey, we're going to be respectful and be quiet in church. Now, it could be, some Bible scholars believe this is because that's who he was talking to. In other words, that the folks who were uh, speaking in tongues and who were prophesying are the same women in this list of folks that Paul says, uh, you need to be quiet in church. Now, that could be, that could be the case. Because earlier in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 11, verse 5, Paul says, women are prophesying in church. We expect women to prophesy to teach and preach God's Word in a public setting. We expect for this to happen in chapter 11. And now in chapter 14, he says, almost as we read it, there's almost this, this complete uh, quieting of women in church, that they, they, this absolute uh, not being able to speak in church, to share in that conversation. So it's really kind of weird, right, that that Paul says that in chapter 11, but then he picks it up on this other hand in in chapter 14. Uh, You search other places. Uh, Some people said, well, maybe we should just dismiss these verses, and it's not from Paul, except that in other parts of Paul's writings, and other letters that Paul writes, he says similar things, like in uh, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, he says, likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, rather, she is to remain quiet. So, similar kinds of teachings. Now, maybe what we ought to do, and maybe what some Bible scholars do, is say, Well, this is all cultural. It depends on the culture and the society and w- where you're at and time and history and, and uh, all those sorts of things. And they say, well, look, at, at 1 Timothy, it, they have a fair point. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, we, we certainly don't say here at Wallula, Wallula we don't say, hey, uh, ladies, you're not allowed to wear earrings or necklaces or rings to worship, right? We don't make this prohibition. And so if we don't make that cultural prohibition, then maybe you know, all of this is just a cultural prohibition that we should leave behind. And we take all of it in its entirety though, which means we have to have this conversation back in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You, you go back, write down First Corinthians chapter eleven, write down First Timothy chapter two verses nine through twelve uh, consider First, con- first uh, Corinthians chapter fourteen as you weigh this issue and this idea throughout the week and you, you study god 's word and you, you learn from it. Go back to chapter eleven and if you remember, we had this weird conversation about First, there were people prophesying, women among them prophesying, and then we had this weird conversation about head coverings. Do you remember this? Is this ringing any bells? And it was men don't need to have their head covered, but women need to have their head covered. And we, we tried to figure out what in the world is Paul talking about? And some Bible scholars think it's the way women wear their hair, whether it's up or down, and all this sort of thing is, is their covering in the church. And we, we decided on that Sunday that it really has more to do with the, this covering that Paul talks about as their husband as a covering, that this relationship is most important, that Christ covers his church that relationship is most important and then there are horizontal relationships all of which are important but some more important than others and certainly the marriage relationship would be one of those that's more important than others and that's kind of where we rested on that sunday in in first corinthians chapter 11 now i want you to take that material back to chapter 14 verses 34 and 35 and I want to want you to imagine a party that you were at or a dinner uh, that you were, were with some friends or you went out to eat with a group of couples and, and one couple started to sort of have a disagreement and they started to bicker with each other. And then that bickering sort of led to an, a full-fledged argument. And maybe they got mad and left it. And what happened to that whole evening? Man, it was awkward. It was weird. It was hard, wasn't it? Now I want you to take that same situation and kind of overlay it on spiritual things. I want you to imagine that same situation in the in middle of a Bible study and, and trying to discern and study God's Word. And the conversation becomes not just a, a necessary, important conversation, but it becomes an argument between a, a husband and a wife. And I want you to consider how that might make everybody else in that room, you know, feel. And then I want you to consider in chapter 14, how Paul has been saying, hey, the reason we don't necessarily want the mosh pit of speaking in tongues in the church service is because how the unbeliever, when he walks in, might relate to all of that information. And could the same principle be true with this conversation about men and women speaking in tongues? worship and church service because for sure i mean we don't follow this here at wallula do we if this is a complete prohibition on women speaking in tongues i want you to or speaking in church i want you to think about that for a moment you go back to the beginning or the middle of our study in verse 26 in that order of things that paul said might happen in a worship service it wasn't just prophecy and it wasn't just speaking in tongues it was hymns, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Well, not not only are some of those things included in what Paul said women were doing in Corinth in chapter eleven that he approved of, but secondly, I mean we for sure at Wallula demonstrate that. And on our worship team and our children's ministry and our student ministry and all kinds of different areas and small groups, there's certainly not this complete and total prohibition of women speaking in worship. I think it's all relational here. It's mostly, or at least mostly, relational. In that, yeah, there, there's this hierarchy that God has set up for whatever reason, and that relationship with Him is most important. We have to pay attention to that and provide for that, and we have to be careful with these other most important horizontal relationships as well. He goes on in verse 36 to say, or was it from you that the Word of God came? Or are you the only ones that has teach? I love Paul sometimes, and this is one of the places where I I love Paul the most because he essentially says, do you think the world revolves around you? Do you think you can do whatever you want and ignore God's word as followers of Jesus? Well, of course not. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things I am writing to you. He should acknowledge God's word and be as a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So my brothers, earnestly desire God's word and do not forbid speaking in tongues, get along with each other. But in all things, they should be done decently and in order so that God and his word might be shared with everyone. You know, the, just the way we consume Things the way the vessel that uh, brings the things that we'll consume really matters, and that's essentially what Paul has been saying here. The vessel really matters. I want you to think about you know that dinner with the, you know the copycat recipe, and you, you ask for a drink uh, of water, and that water comes. From you know maybe the faucet and you receive that and you drink that or maybe you, you prefer bottled water and you think that tastes even better. But if, if somebody were to say, well, here I, I brought you some water and they dip that out of the restroom, right? You might say, well, that's not such a good idea. And why? You know, you dip that out of the toilet. Well, that doesn't sound so appetizing. The the source is the same, the material is the same, but the vessel absolutely matters, huh? And the vessel as we worship him really matters and how we present him to others truly matters. Let's stand and worship him right now.